Well, if you have your Bible, we want to encourage you to turn with me to the scripture lesson for today, which will be found in Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, our intention is to read verses 13 through 25. There are many tragic figures in the Bible. We think of King Saul, terribly tragic figure ending his life seeking the counsel of a, of a witch. Uh, so many benefits given to him, and yet he ended his life in such a, a shameful and dark way. We think of others, maybe not quite as striking, but we think of Samson. We think of uh, many in Scripture that even Solomon in some ways, with all his wisdom and yet all of his struggles. There are a lot of tragic figures in the scripture, but I don't know that there are any quite like Pilate. Tragic figure in scripture. The tragedy of his that surrounds the decision that he makes on the day Jesus was handed over to him by the Jews to be crucified. And I want to speak to you today, and if there's a title for our thought, it would be Pilate's decision. Pilate's decision. And we want to take, as I said, our reading from Luke chapter 23. Read with me from 13 through 25. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, Nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered, over to their, he delivered Jesus over to their will. Pilate's decision. Pilate, as a tragic figure here in the scripture, and this decision that Pilate was given, I think in many ways it mirrors the decision that you and I have as well. It's certainly not the same, and I don't want to make it the same. I don't want to infer that in every way it is. But I think in many ways it is. And I want to draw from here, this passage, some things for us to consider and think about today, about Pilate's decision regarding Jesus and your decision and mine about Jesus. The first thing that I want to note for you today is that this decision was given to Pilate, and it was a decision that in some ways sought him. He didn't seek it. This is not a decision that Pilate sought. It's not one that he desired to have to make in the first place. 
This day for Pilate started out like most other days, very, very likely. Started out as just one of another day, and, and I believe um, many days that he thought would come in the future. I don't think Pilate had any idea of the billions, literally billions of people that would read about the decision that he made this day from then till now, and I believe that there will be people talking about Pilate's decision until time is declared no more and until Jesus returns. There are going to be people somewhere thinking about, reading about, and talking about the decision that he makes on this day. But he wasn't expecting it. He certainly wasn't seeking it. But it was a decision that sought him. He had no idea of the tragic figure that he would become in history. He had no idea that you and I today on September 11, 2022, some 2,000 years removed from this day, that we would still be talking about the decision that he made 2,000 years ago. He couldn't have possibly imagined it, I don't think. And it was a weighty decision, and he makes it, and he makes it in the way, the only way that at the time he thought he could. But he makes a terrible, terrible decision. Makes a terrible decision about Jesus, and we're still talking about it. And I will tell you today that so is he. He's still regretting if he never turned to Christ. He's regretting this day even now. And for you and for me, it's much the same. You might think that to uh, consider or to make a decision about Jesus is a one-time thing, or it's something that once you get past it, you never have to address it again. I will tell you the decision about Christ will follow you for all of eternity. There will not be a time in your future when you will not be confronted with the reality of the decision that you've made about Jesus. It's going to be something that will be a part of you now and forevermore. But Pilate didn't seek the decision. He had not lobbied the high priest and said, Hey, this is going to be a very public trial for a very well-known person. I want to be seen as the one in charge. He did not go to the high priest and say these things. He did not seek them out and say, I want to preside over this trial. Pilate was just living his life, living his own agenda. He was just going about his days. He was doing what most men do, seeking ways, no doubt, to improve his life and the life of those that he loved. He was just trying to go about his life. But then, all of a sudden, he was struck with the decision he had to make about Jesus, and that's similar to how it is for you and me as well. You see, we don't seek him according to the Scripture. None is righteous, no, not one. None would seek after him. These are not my words. They're words of God in Scripture. I remember when this decision sought me. I remember that it was a very different time. Pilate here was not seeking to make this decision, but this decision sought him. Jesus had died, has died for us, and that too forces a decision on our part. Do you see that? That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, went to the cross of Calvary, and he died there for everyone, you and me, and that demands a decision. 
It demands a decision that is understood in the mind and in the heart. It demands a reaction, a response. It cannot be met with apathy and ignoring for long. You can turn it away, but it will be there when it seeks you, when this decision seeks you. This, de- this decision, again, is demanded of us. The decision about Christ is one that seeks every one of us, whether we seek it or not. And I thought about this. Some might respond to this and say, I, I never asked Jesus to die for me. Why must I then have to respond to this thing, this act that he has done? I never ask him to. You might be thinking that, or others maybe that you've talked to might have said something like that. I never asked Jesus to die for me, and to that I would say, you're right, you didn't. And neither did I. And neither did anyone else. But further than that, I would say to you, if you rightly understood your condition and your position, if you rightly understood time versus eternity, if you rightly understood righteousness versus the holiness of God, if you rightly understood all of these things, you would ask Him. You would desire of Him salvation that's only made possible by His blood on the cross. So you might not have asked Him, but Jesus did what we needed Him to do before we knew we needed Him to do it. And that's what Romans 5.8 tells us. God shows His love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. But Pilate wasn't seeking this decision. He didn't want to make it, we'll say next, but he wasn't looking for it. But listen, you don't get the benefits of the cross as an add-on to being a good and decent person. You don't get access to heaven after you die by merely being what you and I might claim to be a good person. You get to heaven through the cross of Christ and by submitting to Him and repenting to God and placing your trust in, in Christ. You don't get the promise of life everlasting without dealing with the death of Christ on the cross, which is the only path to heaven. You and I are going to have to make a decision, and this decision is going to seek you. Maybe maybe it's seeking you today, but you're going to be called upon to make a decision. I remember when this decision sought me. Excuse me. Somebody get me a water would be appreciated. This decision is going to find you, and I want you to think about that. I remember when it found me. I was 11 years old when this decision sought me. I was sitting, as I've shared with many of you before, at a campground in southwest Missouri. Thank you, John. appreciate it. At a campground in southwest Missouri that I'd been to every summer that I could remember since my parents had adopted me. I'd been raised in church. I'd been taught the Bible. I'd gone through Bible drill, shared with you, me and several others from our little church in Mount Vernon, went to state Bible drill. I think it was in Jefferson City. Big stuff for little guys from a 2,000 people town in nowhere, Missouri, for us. I knew scriptures. I could I could quote them from Genesis to Revelation, not I mean, the books of the Bible, many verses. I could find them. I'd been taught all these things, but this decision hadn't sought me yet. I knew a lot about God. I knew a lot about Christ. I could answer all of the Sunday school questions. I'd gone up even as a very small child and said I wanted to be saved. My brother had, and I was asked at the time, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And I said, yes. 
looking back on that time, I think, why would I have said anything else? Everybody in my life had told me that was true. I was a small child. But the decision hadn't sought me yet. I was responding in my own plans. But when I was 11 years old, on that day, sitting there next to my friend, this decision sought me, and God let me know I was lost. He let me know that though I had thought myself a fairly well-behaved little boy, he let me know what I really was, a lost sinner. I didn't go to that camp that week seeking this decision. I went there seeking the same things I always did. I loved to be with my friends, and I'd made friends from other communities in that, in, as people in small towns that surround one another do, and only got to see them certain times of the year. And I was like, you got to be there a whole week away from your parents. And I was, enjoy- I was looking forward to just another week at, at camp at Baptist Hill, just outside Mount Vernon, Missouri. That's what I was seeking. But on that day, as that preacher preached in John 3.16, and it, it became real to me what this really was, it was like I was Pilate. Jesus had just been put in front of me on the cross, and I was a sinner, and the decision had sought me. And you know, that's very similar to how all of the Bible is. We see that everywhere, from Adam and Eve in the Old Testament, do we not? It wasn't them that went and sought God, they went and hid. God sought them. We see Moses. It was God that sought Moses at the burning bush. We see Abraham, and Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 just living his life, and God appears to him and says, I want you to leave your land. And we could just go on and on and on, could we not? Isaiah, Jeremiah, all the prophets, Mary and Joseph in the New Testament. Just going about their lives. The decision then faces them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Paul, the blind, the lame, the lepers that Jesus healed. Just going about their life, the decision, this this thing sought them. This decision about Christ sought them. The woman at the well in Samaria, just going out there and trying to get some water, and there Jesus was, and, and the decision then sought her. Again, I could go on and on and on, citing Scripture after Scripture, that this is a decision that seeks us out rather than one that we ourselves seek. And it was the same for Pilate. Perhaps, perhaps it will find you on a day like it did for Pilate, one that starts out like so many others before it. Maybe it's today. Perhaps God, maybe right now, this moment, through the working of the Holy Spirit, he is sending his word directly into your heart, and he's calling upon you to make a decision. And it wasn't a decision that you maybe even came in here seeking. And yet, nonetheless, here you are. And you're like Pilate. Pilate didn't seek this decision either. But it sought him. He's going to end up being a tragic figure. I pray you do not. You, I pray, turn and go to him. Maybe, though, you'd like to avoid the decision like Pilate did, but like him, you cannot avoid it. When the decision has been placed in front of you, you can't avoid it. You will make a decision one way 
or the other. Pilate was placed in this decision. Not only did he not seek it, it was not his will that he even have to make it at all, as we've said. You know, it was not Rome that went after Jesus. It was God's own people. It was not Rome. It was the high priest, the Sanhedrin, who betrayed him, illegally tried him and convicted him and turned him over to the Roman authorities. In fact, it's clear, is it not, from Scripture that Pilate didn't want to have anything to do with this decision. He wanted to remove himself as far from it as he possibly could. He wanted to have nothing to do with it. In Matthew 27, verse 19, we read about his wife warning him. She says this, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, speaking of Jesus, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Once Pilate was confronted with the decision, he tried everything he could to avoid making it. And I think this again resembles what men and women often do with this decision. Once it has sought you, and it has confronted you, and it has confronted me and others, we didn't seek it. It comes to us. The Holy Spirit makes the Word of God real to us. It's more than just stories. It's the very essence of life. We see Christ on the cross, and when when this decision sought me, (coughs) I didn't hear voices. I didn't see visions but the Spirit of God was communicating to my heart that I needed to be saved. And that decision sought me. God sought me in that way. And many people use this word decision, and sometimes people are afraid of that word and say, salvation is much more than a decision. And I say, of course it is, but it's, it's also not less than a decision. You must, conf- you must go to Christ and decide to go to Christ. And sometimes when the decision confronts us, what many do, sadly, is they try to avoid it. They don't want to have anything to do with it. Once Pilate's confronted with the decision here again, he tries everything he can to avoid it. Placed him, and maybe it placed him in a way that you feel or have felt. It places you in an impossible position. That's how Pilate felt. On the one hand, he's got these Jews these Sanhedrin, these powerful people in the Jewish community, demanding of him that he essentially kill, murder, a man that he feels is innocent. And so some would say, what's the big deal? He's Pilate. He's the Roman authority. Why didn't he just tell the Sanhedrin to just leave it alone? Why did he make this decision? Because at this time, if you wanted to keep your spot as a Roman authority, Job number one was keep the locals happy. They, they didn't want rebellions. They didn't want it to continue. I mean, they owned how, how much of the world at the time. If they, all these people were continually rebelling, think of the cost and, the, and, and, and not only financial, but in lives. And so job number one was to just keep the peace. And so Pilate's thinking is, I'm going to have to kill an innocent man or I'm going to risk a rebellion that's going to come back on me when Caesar hears about it. And so, like Pilate, maybe the, con- com- the confronting of this decision about Jesus to you, you feel, this decision is all or nothing from what I've heard. I must give my life to Christ or not give it anything to him at all. And I'm not prepared to give him all. I'll give him Sundays. I'll give him my 10% tithe. I'll give him being a good person. I'll give him, I won't curse, I won't lie or steal or any of these other things, even though 
I would challenge your success at doing those things, yet at the same time, this decision pilot didn't want to have anything to do with it, and maybe, maybe you don't either. This decision that we are dealing with and thinking about today, about Christ, this decision that has sought us out is nothing less. This is the decision. Here it is. Jesus said it. It was plain. Forsake all and follow me. He didn't say you should just kind of reform your life. You should just shape up a little bit. You should just add a little goodness and kindness. He said forsake all and follow me. That's the decision. That's the decision. It's not, it's not what so much of our world paints the picture as being. Christ gave all for you. He gave everything for you. He left nothing in reserve for you. What makes us think that he will take less from us than all. He wants all of you. And I'll tell you this, by the way, before we go any further. I just want to encourage you with this. You won't regret it. You won't regret anything you give to Christ. You won't. What you'll regret are those things you don't give him. Those things that are going to give you the most trouble in your life are the things you haven't given to Christ. The things that are going to give you the most problems, the most difficulty, are the things that you haven't given to God. Because even those things that you've given to him, and maybe he's allowed you to have, but he takes them. They were his, as Job said. They were his before they were ours. They're his after they're ours. Blessed be the name of the Lord, because in him we have all things. Anyway, you're not going to regret anything that you give him, but that is the decision. This is what you are faced with, to reject him or to submit to him. And you will find, like Pilate did, that you can't just partly accept him or partly reject him. Did you see in the reading today? It was interesting to me. Did you see in the reading today how Pilate was attempting to appease the Jews while coming just short of sentencing Jesus to death? His conscience seemed fine with punishing an innocent man. Seemed okay with that. But it seems even his conscience was bothered by killing an innocent man. Or he had some other reason or concern. Now, I, you might think, yeah, that's kind of strange. That's kind of odd. But I want to ask you, what has your conscience allowed you to do with Jesus? What have you allowed yourself to convince yourself that Jesus is pleased with that you know he isn't? Whatever you do with Christ, this decision that you're faced with, whatever you do with him, you're going to do with all of you. All of you. Not a part. This, this then is going to end up being one of two things. You will, like Pilate, hand Jesus over to the crowd. You will. You'll do that, or you will submit to him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You'll not have another door Pilate was trying to find. You'll not have another, another way to figure out what else, some, a third option to do with Jesus. It's accept him or reject him. It's love him or deny him. Pilate is going to hand Jesus over to the crowd. The only thing left for us then to know and for you to know is what 
you and I will do with him. Are we going to hand him over to the crowd too? Or are we going to submit to him? But that's the decision. And maybe it's a decision that you didn't seek today, but it's a decision that's be, that sought you. And maybe now you're in a position to have to find a, a way to deal with the decision. And you, like Pilate, trying to find some other way out. But you'll not, you'll not find it. We need to move along. I want to point out, this is a decision that only Pilate could make. Only Pilate could make this decision. And this, I think, is similar for you and me as well. As I said earlier, the Jews handed Jesus over to the Romans. Why did they do that? Because they didn't have the authority to exercise capital punishment. They did not have the legal authority to kill anyone. So they hand him over to Rome. Because Rome, Roman authority, a Roman governor must execute (coughs) a capital punishment. So this was a decision that only Pilate could make. In a similar way, this is a decision that only you can make for you. I want you to hear that. Only only you can make this decision for you. No one else can. This is between you and God, not me, you, and God, not you, a mom, and God, or you, a father, and God, you, a deacon, and God, you, a Sunday school teacher, and God, you, a boss, and God, you, fill in the blank, and God, it's you and God. Only you can make this decision. Doesn't that just make sense? How could someone else make this kind of a decision for you? How could anyone else approach Christ on your behalf and claim for for you before him where your heart is? Only you can do that. Only you can make this decision for you. No one else can intervene on your behalf and cast your vote for or against Christ. And I want to say it that way. Nobody can cast your vote for Christ, and nobody can cast your vote against him either. No one can keep you from Christ if you long to be with him. No one can prevent you from being in his fellowship and his love and forgiveness if you desire to find it. So this was a decision Pilate did not seek. It was a decision he did not want to make. But it was a decision only that he that only he could make. And this is a decision that he makes under great duress. And we are coming to a close. Great duress and stress. You know, there's a there's a gravitational force in this world that is attempting to pull you away from Christ and toward yourself and the world. There's just, it's a gravitational force that is trying to pull you away from Christ and pull you toward the world. It's a spiritual gravitational force, but it's real. And it seems to be growing in power in our nation every day. It seems to have been growing over the last couple of decades and even generations. There's a gravitational force in our world that at one, at one point perhaps wasn't felt like it is today, but it's felt today like it hasn't been for many, many years, but it's felt in other places like it always has been. A gravitational force that, listen, it's, it's trying to pull you away from life and toward death. Away from love and toward enmity and strife. 
away from peace and toward fear away from God and toward the, toward this world it's just trying to pull you and like Pilate here you are and if you just can almost in your mind's eye see this day the dust of the streets the tumult of the crowd Christ silently already having been beaten silently watching and looking by and Pilate there he's got the crowd on one hand he has this innate sense and this reality that this man that is before him has done nothing deserving of death and, and it's like this gravitational force of the crowd crucify him it's, it's loud in his ears they're, they're not just whispering it they're crying it out one week before They've been singing Hosanna to this Jesus, the crowd had. One week later, they're crying, crucify him, crucify him. And have you ever been at a sporting event when the crowd just really gets into the game? Just the force of the noise. There's, that's exactly where, where Pilate was. The crowd crying, crucify him, crucify him. This gravitational force pulling Pilate toward a certain decision that would make him one of the most tragic figures in all of human history. And I want to tell you today, you're in that spot right now, and the world is a gravitational force trying to pull you away from God towards eternal tragedy. But there is a better decision to make, and can be made. If God will help you, you can seek Him and you can resist that gravitational force. There is, if there is more deafening words to be found than Scripture, I can't think of where they are right now when this passage said, and their voices, the voices of the crowd, prevailed. Their voices prevailed. Will the voice of the crowd prevail in your life? Will the voice of the crowd prevail in your life? Or will you look at Jesus and you see him for who he is and you bow before him and you honor him as your king and you submit to him as your Lord and you beg his father to forgive you and you find peace and love and safety and all of a sudden that crowd, it, that, it's still there. That noise is there, but it's almost like it just it muffles because... You hear the voice of God in your heart speaking words like it's well. You're mine. I forgive you. I've made a home in heaven for you. You're mine and you'll always be mine. One of the questions we got this past week at, in Africa and Atibabu while we were there, the people were asking us questions often after we would teach and they would say, they were asking questions and they asked pretty much the same question three or four different ways. It was all about eternal security. And I know there's different opinions on this, but I, I remember one of the things that really resonated is, is I, was, I said, it's either eternal life or it isn't. When we find Christ and he gives us eternal life, it's either eternal or it isn't. And when we find Christ and he gives us peace, he, he keeps us. One of the evidences of salvation is that there's still within us a desire to please him and to love him. He keeps us. We're His, and we're always His. We don't live perfectly. But I want to ask you before we 
move in close today again. I know the crowd's loud. I I know the I know the stakes of the decision are high. It couldn't be higher. I know maybe you didn't seek the decision. You don't want to, you, maybe you're just in that spot still. You're just trying to figure out a way to I, I don't want to make this decision. I want to tell you today you're not going to avoid it. If nothing else, the crowd's going to make you make a decision. This world's going to call upon you. Decide. And God does too. Decide. Pilate makes a very poor decision, as we've said. And so I want to say this as I close. His decision, a tragic one, changed nothing about the truth. Didn't change the truth one little bit. Because Pilate decided, and again, I know God's providence and his sovereignty is at work. I know all of this is happening. I I know all this, and yet I, I believe in the free will of man and the sovereignty of God. I believe there is a combination of these things that come together in a mystery. I don't think it can be one or the other. I think there's too much to explain. I think there's too much to explain, to choose one over the other or the other over the one. I think in this, I know all of that is going on, but Pilate has made a terrible decision. But his decision has made nothing, has had no impact at all on life, on, on the truth. The man that was released, Barabbas, he was still a murderer and still a rebel. Just because he was freed doesn't make him innocent. Jesus was delivered over and crucified as a criminal, didn't make him one. John 1.11 tells us that Jesus came to his own. His own people did not receive him. Jesus was still delivered over by the will of the people, just like we were told it would happen. The same, though, is true for your decisions and mine. They don't change the truth. Do you, do you see that? Your decisions don't change the truth. What our decisions do is change our disposition to the truth. Our decisions put us in line with the truth, or they put us at odds with the truth. But they don't change the truth. And so this decision that you're confronted with about Christ, maybe you're going to make a terrible decision like Pete, like Pilate did. I pray not. But what? I pray not. I can't tell you how sincerely I say that today. I pray that you don't. But your decision about Christ to say that he's not who he said he was, it won't change who he is. And one day you will see this. Now, if God has brought this decision to you and you feel like it's a decision that you didn't ask to make today, you didn't seek, you don't want to make, yet you feel that there is a sense of truth to the fact that only you can make this decision for you, maybe you're feeling this gravitational pull of the world to make the wrong decision, then please understand that the reason God is presenting this decision to you today is to not, not, not to bother you merely it's it's not to disturb you merely he is presenting this decision to you today because he loves you Jesus died for you he loves you he's done what's necessary to save you before you even knew you needed saving but he's done it Pilate's decision is yours now Pilate's decision is now yours. 
Are you going to listen to the crowd? Or are you going to say, no, this is an innocent son of God, and I follow him? I want you to seek him and make that decision. And I want you to seek him until you know him. Until you know him. That's what I, the last thing I'll say to you. Until you know him. And you say, well, what does that mean? Until you have peace with God. Until you can tell me that I know him and he knows me. And that experience and that conversion is going to take all kinds of different shapes and sizes. And we have testimonies of salvation of people in all kinds of circumstances, from foxholes to driving to church and their Sunday best on the most nice, beautiful, sunny day there could be, and everything in between. But the difference is, you know him. He gave me peace. That's what happened when I was 11 years old. I didn't I thought I'd already been saved. I thought I was the one that messed up when I was younger as a small boy. But that day, I sought him, and I asked him for forgiveness. I didn't know all the words to use, but I knew that he had died for me, and I knew I was a sinner, and I sought him, and then there was, there was just a moment of, of peace and freedom. And I knew him. And I remember that day. And just like I didn't hear any voices or see any visions when I first was confronted with the decision, I didn't hear voices or see visions the moment that I think that I was converted, that I know I was converted, yet I knew something had happened inside of me that had changed me. The world hadn't changed, but I had. And I'll say this, I shared with you before, I, my other friend, I mean, these were my friends all around me. Another one had come up and was seeking the Lord or was wanting to be saved and didn't seem bothered or concerned really at all. I was in tears. I was broken. I was fearful. And, and he was just, I mean, just right there. And he just, his name's Todd Flyers and loved the guy. He looked at me and he said, why are you crying? I remember being so confused by the question. I was out seeking God for salvation. I'm, I'm lost. Surely, surely you understand why I'm crying. Why would I have to explain such a thing? Now, not everyone cries. Not everyone does outwardly, but there's going to be a broken heart, contrite spirit. And that's what's necessary. And if you're feeling that today, please, please ignore the voice of the crowd and go toward the voice of the one that can give you peace. I beg you today. Let's have a song.